message today is on entering God's rest. And I'd like to open with um, a passage from Hebrews chapter 4 and starting in verse 11. And the context for this is the writer of Hebrews is talking about the command to honor God's Sabbath. And he roots that command um, in God resting on the seventh day from his works. And this is how, we'll, we'll see in a second, it's in Exodus also, when the commandment is given. Um, but then, with respect to this rest, and the call for us to honor that Sabbath. Verse 411, let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest, lest anyone fall after the example, the same example of disobedience. For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit, and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to, his, to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Now, the, the thing I want to focus on here is this relationship between being diligent or striving to enter God's rest. Rest seems to be the opposite of striving and diligence and working. Um, so we have here this image of a striving to rest. What is this rest? that we're to strive for. And how do we then fulfill the command to honor God's Sabbath? Lord, give us an awareness of your call, of your promise, of the beauty of this command, of the beauty of your rest, your shalom, your peace, and Lord, stir our hearts now that we would awaken and see what you seek to show us, in Jesus' name. Now, um, so, uh, First, give a little context for what brought me to this topic, because um, you know, as as is common, you know, God deals with you on certain things, and you know, then you see something there. He shows you something, and then you want to share it because it's been a blessing to you. Um, and here, um, the, it's it's kind of a challenge for me, a conviction. And it's on two areas. 
first. Um, so I don't know why, but lately I've been really struggling with a sluggishness, like a sleepiness. You know, you just want to nod and not be diligent in the tasks that God has given you for the day. And I have a kind of work that if I'm not careful, I, I can, you know, I can be drawn into that because I don't normally have to go into the office. There's nobody looking at me in that, but I have deadlines and I have to complete stuff. And if I'm not careful, the deadlines come up on me and I'm, I'm not ready for them. Um, and this kind of thing happened to me a couple of times and as a result, it comes Sunday and it's time for worship and I have things due Monday and then I say, well, that I have to do this. And I put myself in a situation where I can't enter into God's rest with God's people. And in my mind, I kind of explain that with that passage, you know, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. You know, you have these tasks and, you know, they're due and you have to be responsive to them. And I wasn't putting together the sluggishness and not being diligent in the daily tasks and how I end up in a circumstance where I have this deadline and I'm not able, you know, either I got to not do the task that was due or I don't attend the, the gathering with God's people and either way I don't do something that I ought to do. But it's because I put myself in that circumstance. It's because during the week I wasn't diligent in looking ahead and in making sure that I'm in a place where I can fulfill what God's calling to me what God's calling me to. And it's that link. It's the, what I want to, what I want to focus on here is how to fulfill the things of God, to do what God calls us to. It's not just a matter of sort of reacting in the immediate moment. It's a matter of planning for it, looking ahead to it, getting things in place, being diligent for that work with a view toward the call and the promise and the fulfillment. Now, we know it's not by works that we're saved, right? But, but God does call us to be diligent and to do this with an expectation that if we do what we're called to do, what we see ourselves needing to do, and a lot of times this is earthly, menial things, then God will bring to completion 
what we can't fully explain ourselves. And another side of this is, I just put it in terms of, you know, a week and, you know, how I got myself into trouble and then, you know, I can't um, attend the gathering of God's people. Um, but this is really with all of life, right? It's not just over a week. And because of our past actions, our sins, we find ourselves in circumstances that whatever we do, it's kind of like my choice of do I not fulfill a deadline, a promise, or do I not obey God? It's, it's my lack of attending to the preparation that put me in a circumstance where whatever I do, I'm not doing what I ought to do. And notice, Paul talks about that as the human condition, right? The good that I would, I don't do, but the very evil I wouldn't do, that I do. You know, I end up in this mess where I seem to be unable to fulfill. And there's a promise, right, that God heals that. God's grace makes up for our lack. God enables what we can't do. But that doesn't take away the need to be diligent. And the diligence is to enter God's rest. And the other side of this that I want to focus on is that rest. When we think of earthly rest, we think of sort of ceasing from all activity, right? Like a sleep. We, we go to sleep, and then we're doing nothing, and that's rest. But that's not God's rest. God's rest is the fullest activity. It's the, the realization of a relationship of love and communion with God's people where everything that makes us human according to his pur purpose is realized in us, right? And we get a taste of it here, but ultimately that rest is not attained until the other side of this life, right? So I want to sort of trace out this theme and link this, this diligence to enter God's rest to the theme of, you know, and that's how it was linked. That's how kind of it dawned on me, um, kind of awaking from our sleep, awaking from that sluggishness that we get drawn into. And as is often the case in scripture, you have sort of two levels, right? There's an earthly level um, where... There's a sluggishness, a kind of laziness, and then problems come, right? And then there's a spiritual level. There's a spiritual kind of struggle uh, of, of laziness, a cloud that comes over us. And we're to awake from that or the ultimate calamity, a kind of spiritual death sets in. Um, so with these themes... I want to first go to
command to honor the Sabbath, and that is in Exodus 28. And I want to trace this to Jesus' uh, Jesus' statement, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. And I want to talk about um, how my interpretation of that was all wrong, how my effort to use that as an excuse was not honoring what Jesus was teaching in that scripture, and then tie it to the theme of waking up from a sluggishness. So um, in Exodus 20, where we have a list of the Ten Commandments, um, verse 8, which is the fourth commandment, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work, you, nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your manservant, nor your maidservant, nor your cattle, nor your stranger who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. Now, first I want to ask a question. Does God get tired so he needs to rest? So whatever it means, and then God rested, right? It can't just mean, you know, you got tired and you're sluggish, so you let up. Right? Because the model of us honoring the Sabbath is God's rest. Right? So you see the rhythms of creation presented. And then on the seventh day, after God makes man and woman, and they're in the garden, it says God rested. And then God comes into communion with that man and that woman. So the nature of the rest is somehow tied to the completion of the work and the purpose of the work, which is now that creation is no longer, as it were, object of God's activity to bring it about, but now the purpose of creation, people in God's image, they've been called forth, and God enters into a different kind of relationship with that creation, a relationship of communion where in the cool of the eve, God comes and Adam and Eve in their working of the garden and the flourishing of the garden, um, they enter into fellowship with God and enjoy the fullness of what they were created for. That's God's rest, and that's their rest. Now, it's after the fall, after they disobey God, that the curse comes, and that curse involves the toil, 
instead of in the fullness of this love and joy bringing forth the fruits of creation, Eve, in great pain, brings forth new life, the childbirth. Adam, with thorns and thistles and toil on the ground, a different kind of work struggles to make, eke out his living, and ultimately on them, the final word instead of the fullness of life is death, right? And that arose from the disobedience to God's call. So here you have the context for the Sabbath, God's rest as a fullness, and the command to us that we are to enter rest, we're to honor the Sabbath, a time when we enter into worship. Now, there, so it's kind of a, a rich study to look at this command in relation to the other Ten Commandments. And often you see the discussion you know, spoken of is there's two tablets, right? Um, Moses' two tablets written with the finger of God on Mount Sinai. And the first tablet has to do with the love of God. And the second tablet has to do with love of man. Um, so for the first tablet, you have the command to have no other God besides God, the living God. Um, you're not to take God's name in vain. You're not to make a carved image or an idol. And that Sabbath day to honor it, right? And then you have this tricky command in between. And, you know, different people talk about whether it should be on the first tablet or the second. And that's to honor your parents. Um, and there the idea is that parents are like um, the face of God, the tutor of God um, to the new generations that come forth. And in learning to honor the parents and be blessed in the honoring of them, we're tutored in the honoring of God. So that puts it on the, the first tablet rather than the second. And then in the second tablet, you have all the thou shalt nots, right? To not murder, not bear false wit witness, not commit adultery, um, etc. Now, here on the Sabbath day, um, it's kind of, is that purpose to love God, to enter into rest with God, separate from loving man? And what I want to suggest is that Jesus' teaching helps us see something about the relationship between the two tablets. Um, notice first um, that in the commands, um, they, they mark off what should never be done, right? Having other gods or disobedience on the Sabbath, violating it, or committing murder. 
And these mark-off lines, um, and you know, in ethics, one way of speaking of this um, is to make a distinction. I don't think the terminology used for this is quite the right terminology, but um, you know, a common ethical distinction is between what's called perfect and imperfect duties. Um, and perfect duties are the ones you never can violate. They are, they govern all the time, and these almost always take the form of a thou shalt not do something, right? Um, imperfect duties, the reason they're called imperfect is because the duties don't fully tell you what needs to be done. So imperfect duties are like um, showing care for other people. Um, how do you do that? Do you do that with a food ministry? Or do you visit the sick? Or do you know someone that is in need of help in some way? Um, do you do it by giving finances because you're blessed in that way? Or do you do it by service in a certain context, right? We know we're called to show love to others. But how do we realize that? And for different people, it may be in different ways, depending on the situation and the specific call and your gifts and so on. So the reason they're called imperfect is that there's an aspect of them that needs to be filled in for their realization. And when Jesus says, you know, this is the fulfillment of the commands, what he's saying is the first tablet, all the thou shalt nots, that marks off boundaries to protect you from not loving God. But it doesn't, you know, the full content isn't given in the thou shalt nots, right? The full content is given in love God. Likewise, the fulfillment of the second tablet isn't not murdering, it's loving your neighbor, right? Now, for Jesus, when the Sabbath is at issue, I'd like to turn to Mark 2. Um, so, starting, well, um, so in 23, verse 23, it says, now it happened that he, meaning Jesus, went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. And as they went, his disciples began to pluck the heads of grain. And the Pharisees said to him, look, why do they do what is not lawful on the Sabbath? But he said to them, have you never read what David did when he was in need and hungry, he and those with him, how he went into the house of God in the days of Abiathar the high priest, and ate the showbread, which is not lawful to eat, except for the priests, and also gave some to those who are with him. 
And he said to them, the Sabbath was, not made for, was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. Therefore, the Son of Man is also Lord of the Sabbath. Now, in another passage of a similar kind, also beginning with the grain fields, um, this is in Matthew, um, you again have the, the, the Jewish leaders coming and rebuking the disciples. And in that context, after Jesus says, the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath, he goes on to heal someone. And they're upset because he healed someone on the Sabbath. Because healing is a work. Now, think about that. Was Jesus violating the Sabbath? Or was this, you know, a unique circumstance that made the law unfulfillable? Or was he rather fulfilling the Sabbath? So notice, in each case, there's people with needs. And in love, this is an opportunity, and he's showing them the love of God. The power of God is enabling an action that's impossible in worldly terms, right? The healing of someone. Um, and God's grace is manifest in Jesus. So that principle, um, at least here I'm speaking to me because I use the the, um, you know, Sabbath made for man, not man for Sabbath as an excuse um, for, you know, I've got these deadlines and so on without sort of seeing how I led to that. But in that case, was I fulfilling the purpose of the Sabbath in the way Jesus is pointing to? This wasn't you know, uh, an opportunity of God's love to be manifest. This was my laziness that put me in a predicament where, you know, I can't now <laughs> gather with God's people. So here I, I want to, on that passage, kind of highlight what's in the background of the call. We've talked about how the rest, God's rest, is not just this passivity or sleep, it's, a, it's an activity, it's a God-enabled activity, and what I want to do now is look at the other side, and that is the sluggishness, the slumber, first talking about it in a physical way, and then um, talk about it uh, in a spiritual way. So on the physical, uh, in Proverbs, Proverbs 6, and I'll start in 6. Um, actually, I think I'm going to read a different, because there's two Proverbs, actually, that, um, that um, use the, the passage I want to use, but... Um, Let's 
for sake of time, go to Proverbs 24, and um, I'll start in 30. Um, so here Solomon is speaking, I went by the field of the slothful, or the lazy person, um, and by the vineyard of the man devoid of understanding, and there it was all overgrown with thorns. Its surface was covered with nettles. Its stone wall was broken down. When I saw it, I considered it well. I looked on it and received instruction. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. So your poverty will come like a prowler and your want like an armed man. So here is counsel. In the other passage I was going to read, it also ends with that a little sleep, a little slumber. Um, but instead, it does it in terms of a positive lesson. You know, go to the ant, observe its ways, you know, without any leader, and so on. And it talks about the diligence of the ant and how much, even though they're so tiny and each thing it does is just a little grain of something, yet in the end, so much seems to be accomplished by that ant. And here it's put in terms of a negative lesson, right? If you have that sleep and that slumber, then, you know, the fields torn down, um, sort of the hopes are dashed and calamity comes on you. And if you think about this, this is, it's kind of an obvious natural principle. Right? If you're not diligent in attending to things, then they break down and you're in a mess. Right? So it's a very straightforward principle here. Um, what I want to do now is look at um, a, a different image. Um, and um, it's in Ephesians 5. And here, um, you know, it, it begins in verse 8. You were once in darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth proving what is acceptable to the Lord, and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of those things which are done in secret by them. But all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light, for whatever makes manifest is light. Therefore he says, Awake, you who sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. Now, here, awake from your sleep. I want to put that with a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and your calamity comes on you, right? And as an image to take away from, you, from this, I, I want you to think of the, the following. And this actually um, is an like I'm going to describe it. <laughs> um, so my eldest daughter, Abigail, um, 
when she was really little, um, it's like she, she was aware enough but didn't quite get things like sleep. Um, so she seemed, as best I could tell, um, she seemed to think that if she fell asleep, the world's gone and that's it. It's over. And when she'd get tired, you'd, you'd see her and, you know, she'd nod like this and she would literally hit herself. <laughs> she'd go whack, whack to, to shake herself awake because she must have been terrified. Oh no, the world's going dark. It's disappearing and I want to stay in it, <laughs> right? Now, I, I want to suggest that we, we need something like that when the sluggishness and the heaviness of the world comes on us. We're, we're kind of drawn into the, the distractions, the, the busyness. We're, we're also seems to come on us, and now we're just in the world, and the things of God are gone, and, you know, it's like a darkness came over us. And spiritually, we need to be on watch for that. You know, so, so every now and then you get glimpses of it, say, ah, but that's not that big a deal or whatever. You don't worry about it, right? I think we should worry about it. We, we should do the equivalent, maybe not hit ourselves, but, um, you know, the, the wake ourselves up. And here we see this in Paul, awake you who sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. Now, here, this is an instruction now to us. So it's not just speaking about the resurrection, right? It's we were dead in our sins. And also, Paul is not just speaking to those that are not saved, right? He's speaking to those who have received the gospel. And he's saying to them, namely you, awake, you who sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. Now, here on another passage, this is back in the Psalms, Psalm 13, 1 through 3. Um, I want to... And here it's David, and one thing really neat uh, about David, and I love the Psalms for this, um, you know, he seems to have had just about every type of struggle that people have. So, you know, if you go to, you know, if you're going through a struggle, um, 
you know, there's a psalm where David was going through a similar struggle. And one thing that he commonly faced was um, this, this way he uses different images for it. Um, one of them is like being caught in a quicksand, right? And you're sinking, you're being pulled into the mud, and the waters are coming over you, and you're going to be drowning. And he cries out to God, and he says, you know, I'm, I'm in this quicksand. You know, the waters are coming over me. Save me. And he cries out to God. And here, in this passage, in Psalm 13, um, he's feeling like God isn't there. So it's this time when that, that sluggishness, that sleep comes over him. And he says, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart daily? How long will my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and hear me, O Lord my God. Enlighten my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. So here's the, the image. You know, when you're, when you're feeling alone and God's not there, when his face doesn't seem like it's toward you. Um, understand, this is, a, this is a struggle that every person of God has had through history. And we can turn to David and we can take his example. Because when he faced that, he doesn't just say, oh, well, that's fine. That's when he struggles to find God. He struggles for renewal of that relationship. He struggles. He's diligent to enter the rest that now seems too distant and that even seems to fade as something that he would seek, right? And it's that, it's that call, that diligence. What are we when we're diligent to enter God's rest, it's to awake from our slumber, right? That night that's come over us. Seek God. Look to him. Hope in the time when you will be in fellowship with him again like Adam and Eve were in the cool of the evening when they directly communed with God. So Paul, in the Ephesians passage, when we read Awake, that, that was a quote from Scripture. And the quote is from Isaiah. And it's a passage that we know from other contexts, but I want to here tie it to this, this diligence to enter God's race, rest. So in Isaiah 60, starting in verse 1, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. 
For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth, and deep darkness the people. But the Lord will arise over you, and his glory will be seen upon you. The Gentiles shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. Now, this is a clear prophecy of the Messiah, and the work that the Messiah would do, and the, you know, some of you who, who like classical music will know this from Handel's Messiah, um, but um, this arise, shine, for your light has come. The idea is that there's this deep darkness, there's this slumber, there's this cloud over a and then Messiah breaks in and hearts are opened and eyes are turned back upward and that rest from which they were separated, now it's brought to them. That's our hope. That's how we should think about the Sabbath and how we should attend to be diligent to enter that rest. So, I just have two more verses I would like to look at. Um, the next is in Romans 13, and Here in, in the first part of it, um, in Romans 13, chapter 8, Paul is counseling us, Owe no one anything except to love one another. For he who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, you shall not covet. And if there are any other commandments, are all summed up in this saying, namely, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. So here, we open looking at the Ten Commandments and the fulfillment of this. And Paul here is highlighting this love is what we, we owe, and this love is the fulfillment of that law. And then Paul says, and do this knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. For now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is far spent, the day is at hand, Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness, not in licentiousness and lewdness, not in strife and envy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provisions for the flesh to fulfill its lust. So here, that his discussion of the commandments and its fulfillment in love, this transitions to 
put on Christ. Clothe yourself with Christ. And that is the awakening from the slumber. Right? It's the, the rest that you enter. And this is what we're to be diligent to seek out. And look at the relationship between that passage in Isaiah chapter 60, right? Where it says it speaks of the light coming, right? When it says awake, and it speaks of that light coming, that light is Christ. And here we're told, clothe yourself with him. Awake, that's what you're called to, to fulfill to realize that purpose, which is to put on Christ and to walk in the celebration of his love. And if we do that, then we obey the command to honor the Sabbath. And in doing that, we'll awake from our slumber, we'll be diligent attending to it in the hopes of Wearing that garment, that, that life, that new nature that is our rest. So in closing, think of that sluggishness and little Abby saying, no, I'm not resting, and shaking ourselves awake and in doing that, moving from our present circumstance and the darkness to fixing our eyes on our hope, which is to be clothed with Christ. And what is that activity of the rest that we enter? It's that love which we see manifest in Christ and that we're called to. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for your call. Stir us, Lord, to wake up out of our slumber, to be diligent in the tasks, to cultivate the gifts that you grant so that we individually and as a community may enter into the fullness of your rest. In Jesus' name.